Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. There is a tendency by many to write off young black kids who are often brought into the world with two strikes against them. Writer, journalist Sylvester Brown, the former Post-Dispatch columnist, thinks instead about their potential. He sees it in At Risk Youth, as outlined in his new book, When We Listen, Recognizing the Potential of Urban Youth. Sylvester Brown joins me in the studio. Great to see you again. You too, Don. Thank you so much for having me on. You've really, uh, you've really made it a project in your post-column uh, life <laughs> to, uh, to work with young youngsters, haven't you? I have. I have. What, what's the incentive and the motive there? You know, it's kind of by accident than design. Um, after I left the post, I went to work for Tavis Smiley on uh, his book with his book company. While there, I met a lot of black thinkers, and I became disappointed with the fact that uh, they were talking to talk, but they were waiting for Obama to do the walk. And I thought there must be something that we could do together. So I came back to St. Louis, and I started a program. Obama had a, had a federal program called the Federal Food Financing Initiative. I thought, okay, I'm going to just do this. Start a program for kids, and what they do is we take kids from the inner city. We have them plant sweet potatoes on vacant lots. We give them a summer job, teach them marketing, branding, sales. And uh, after that, they turn their produce into a product. But in the process of all that, I really got to spend time with kids. And I thought I knew it all, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm African-American, you know? Uh, I, I speak to kids at schools. I make presentations, but I never spent four days a week, four hours a day with kids. And it was mind-boggling. It really opened my eyes to, number one, the obstacles they faced, the challenges they faced, but number two, how heroically they navigate these obstacles. These kids who were born in neighborhoods not of their making, who had no control over industry or anything in their community, who, who have to you know, navigate streets that are are designated by color, red or blue, they keep getting up and they dream and they manage to do all this in the most creative, resilient ways possible. That was the part that really blew me away. And and I, I, I started to listen to them. I started, you know, they challenged me. Again, I thought I knew it all. And I was the boss and you're gonna do what I say. But it didn't turn out that way. You know, they, they challenged me. And one young lady in the first year wrote me a letter saying, Mr. Brown, you don't listen. I just fired her brother and her. And she wrote me Sweet Potato Project. Sweet Potato Project, yes, yeah. And so she wrote me this letter, and it made me really look at myself and really start paying attention. And once I really started paying attention, it was was mind-blowing. And I realized that this is not an individual problem. This is a nationwide, worldwide problem. We're not really responding to what our kids are trying to tell us. Well, what were they telling you specifically? What were the kinds of things they were saying? They were trying to say that, you know, I still dream. You know, I still want to become a doctor, a lawyer, or this or that. I know how I am perceived. I know that when I walk through the Central West End and I say hello to people outside sitting out in the restaurants, they're going to grab their purses. If I walk into a store, they're going to follow me around. These kids are aware of how they are perceived. And what they what they were really trying to tell me is that, you know, we still dream. We have ambitions. We have, you know, lives. And stop calling my neighborhood bad. You know, stop saying this is a crime-filled neighborhood. This is where I learned to ride a bike. This is where my mother baked sweet potato pie. This is where my father 
worked a hard job and came home and made sure we had something to eat. So they are aware of how they are perceived. And yet they want you to know, I believe, that they are still vessels of opportunity. They are still, they still have this, this magical uh, potential. And really, it's, it's, it's a lesson that I learned as a kid. You know, there's nothing phenomenal about me. I'm a regular kid raising a poor family, 11 kids. I dropped out of high school. Whatever success I have to date is really based on the fact that people pulled me aside and said, boy, young man, you've got something special. Let me walk you to opportunity. And that's the operative word, walk me to opportunity. It's one thing to, uh, to recognize that the, these youngsters do have potential. Then what? I mean, that's a it's a big step between recognizing it and fulfilling it. It is. It yeah. is. It is. Recognizing the potential is one thing. I think what's even more important is to recognize and realize the obstacles. We're talking about kids who come to school who are impoverished, kids who come to school with Pete with um, uh, warlike syndrome, PTSD. PTSD yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, where violence is a part of their life, where they've lost loved ones, peers, and siblings, and we just expect them to, that not to affect them, but they are impacted by that. Uh, recognize uh, not only the psychic trauma, but these kids have low self-esteem. You know, they come from neighborhood, they come from institutions, educational, religious, where people are telling them, you know, you need to get out of your community. Your neighborhood is bad. You know, you need to escape your environment. We don't tell these kids you could change your neighborhood. You could be the, the impetus for huge change. Those ideas you have, let's just take the kids during the, um, the Mike Brown protests and, the, and, the, and other protests. We focused on the violence and we focused on you know the traffic stoppage. What we didn't look at is the creativity and the resiliency and the fact that they dared believe that they could change the world. I mean, I saw more, uh, Mike Brown t-shirts, Mike Brown songs. I saw the way that they went out and demonstrated at the symphony and shut down. All that stuff was just so beautiful and engaging. And really, it, it set a template for protests across the world. So I just think we need to refigure how we look at these kids and say, okay, you're here. You're doing this. You're, you're, making, you're taking 15 cents and making it out of a dollar. You're navigating a, a public transportation system that is woefully lacking. How do we take all these strengths that you have and find ways to make them um, better, not only for you and your family, but for the community? So I think if we listen and if we invest in these kids, we can have future entrepreneurs. You know. Well, that's what you're doing with the Sweet Potato Project. And I hate to put it this way, but it's a, it's a characteristic that is cited a lot. Uh, a lot of young people in the uh, inner city these days are, are dealing drugs. And uh, that's a very entrepreneurial skill <laughs> in some ways. So that's not the way to become an entrepreneur, but it does show the, an ability and a talent for, for selling things, if you will. Exactly. Yeah. Again, by no means am I saying that the majority of African-American kids or urban kids sell drugs. They no, don't. I'm not saying that either. No, I, no, I don't think you are. They don't. But they are aware that that is a viable economic alternative. Those are the people who have the nice cars and the nice clothes and seem to have money. So they are aware that there is that economic reality. We need to show them that there are other economic realities. You know, we need to have, take a hard look at North St. Louis and ask the kids what sells. 
And that's what we do. Take them around to different neighborhoods and they see that there are payday lenders and there are liquor stores and there are fast food restaurants and there are uh, auto repair stores, there are rent-to-own stores. There's gold in them dire hills, to quote, you know, the Beverly Hillbillies. Um, we just need to show kids how to apply their inherent uh, talents to their current situation with the hope that they could move that into other areas. And and if you look at a lot of today's rappers, they're doing that. Mm-hmm. Who is we? You say we have to do this and we have to do it. Who's yeah. we? The we, as I call them in the book, is the caring and concerned. If you really care about these kids, if you are connected with these kids through nonprofit agencies, through education, through religion, we're the ones who are going to have to make the change. There's another we I talk of, and that is the African-American community. We have turned our kids over to broken systems, a broken educational system, a broken economic system, a broken criminal justice system. These systems are not going to correct themselves, and we can't wait another 30, 20 years. So we have, we have to realize that this, the onus of change is on us. These are our children. Everybody should be concerned. Everybody should be involved. But the onus of change and responsibility, I think, is on African-Americans. We've got to be the ones to be creative. We've got to want to be courageous. We've got to be the ones to go in and, and create different programs that address the myriad of challenges that our kids face. Nobody's going to do that for us. You know, one of the things that comes out on this program a lot is particularly with regard to the, the, the urban poor and young black kids and, and, and poor people in general is that they are essentially invisible to everybody else. Yeah. Uh, it takes a Michael Brown incident and what followed that for the visibility to increase a little bit. Right. We have, quote, conversations, then we stop talking and go right back to where we were. Right, right. This, this has got to be discouraging to these kids to see that happen. We're right back where we started. It is. And, and like I write in the book, the, you know, these kids are aware. They know how they are perceived. They know that a lot of their educators don't really have faith in them. We'll tell them, well, you, you know, College is not for you. Why don't you? Why don't you go get a job here? Why don't you go to trade school? Why don't you do this? Your community is doomed. Why don't you get out of it? Um, I'm sorry, I forgot the second part of your question. <laughs> this is a bad interview moment. <laughs> no, just, just just talking about how the invisibility of the of the kids in the neighborhoods and the poor people in general are not only in, in urban settings but in rural settings as well. People yeah. kind of put them off to the side. You're absolutely right. And, and if if we look at the um, the kids from Marjorie Stone and Douglas yeah. School. Mm-hmm. Um, they were called crisis actors. They were called uh, stooges for the Democrats. They were thoroughly uh, disparaged and demeaned. But those kids were on the ball. They were sharp and they were and they had something to say. In fact, those kids were a part of the myriad of millennials who really helped dictate the outcome of the twenty eighteen midterm elections. That potential is there if we just activate and ignite these kids and really validate that, you know, that, yeah, you've got something to bring to our society. You, you know, that's one thing I do with the Sweet Potato Project. I put the onus of change on the kids. You don't like what you see in your communities? You could change it. You could be the one that creates jobs for your peers and for your siblings. You could be the one who can buy these uh, broken these broken down homes and purchases available vacant lots and turn them into productive gardens. You could change the trajectory of your community. I, I think a lot of them 
are surprised by that. I don't think pe I don't think we talk to them in that way. We don't tell them that they got the power to change because they make the the problem so overwhelming. We're talking with Sylvester Brown. He's the former columnist for the Post-Dispatch. Now he's the guy behind the Sweet Potato Project here in the city of St. Louis and the author of a brand new book. It's called When We Listen, Recognizing the Potential of Urban Youth. That's what we're talking about. If you'd like to be a part of this conversation, we'd love to have you. Give us a call at 382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org or send us a tweet at STL on air. But what thoughts do you have about the way we react to and the way we perceive the urban poor, particularly young black kids in the city of St. Louis? Give us a call. We'll be back in a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Now back to our conversation with Sylvester Brown. Uh, Sylvester, what kind of uh, success stories do you have and the work that you've been doing for the last several years? Um, do you have any examples you could give me of kids who have turned it around and overcome the obstacles we're talking about? Yeah, I can give you a couple examples. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not really about turning it around. It's, again, it's about they already have the skill. And they already have the talent. It's just about re you know, directing and helping them. I have a young man. Back in 2012, uh, I had to give the kids an assignment to create a, uh, a jingle for the Super Potato Project, a theme song. And this, two young men actually, they actually wrote the, the lyrics. I mean, they were they did very professional about it. They wrote the lyrics, they did the sound and all that stuff. And the kids put on a really nice, uh, put out a really nice theme song. It was a rap-based theme song. Well, this young man now is, uh, his livelihood is selling beats. You know, he makes beats, he makes music, and uh, he makes videos. And very, his name is Mike King. Uh, he's on he's on Facebook. He's one of the young people who already had that gift, though. And I, I can't take credit for what he had. He already had it. Um, I have a young lady who started her own uh, uh, food uh, catering business. We last year we had we were planting and we had her come out. She bought us these little boxes of food. Uh, I I don't know how she's going to make <laughs> money with it because she actually delivers to all these people. But I'm very proud of her. I'm proud of her for trying. So I got a lot of examples of of, of young people who are doing that sort of thing. And again, I take no credit for them. I I, I am blessed. I think to be a part of the journey. Um, and there's others, you know. And they may not have started their own business, but they're working. A couple of them are mothers, but they're they're really good, strong mothers. So it's, it's those little things, seeing young men and young women, you know, not going to prison. You know, success to me is just you are still out here. You're still, you know, you're still working. You're still dreaming. You're still striving, and you're making mistakes. I love that. So many mistakes I made in my career, but they all led to where I am right now. It seems to me like you're you're talking about some sort of a a super mentoring program in the sense that all of these kids really need somebody to take an, an interest in them. Yeah, I, I like that word you use, super mentoring, because it's not that. What amazes me about my project didn't take that much. I've had some knuckleheads, I mean, straight up kids who were headed for prison, kids who threatened to, you know, to body slam me. Um, but it didn't take that much to turn them around. Mm -hmm. Number one is just talking to them. Uh, let me give you a graphic example. We had these kids in, I think it's 2014, three brothers. We called them the Dread Brothers. And they were sharp, especially the oldest one. He, I had people tell me, you know, this kid is brilliant. He said, Mr. Brown, you're the first one who ever told me I'm smart. Mm -hmm. And that blew me away because this kid was intelligent. 
Anyway, these brothers, one, one week they came to school and they were just not themselves. They were playing around, they were laughing, they were indignant. And one of my instructors said, you guys need to get yourselves together. And the kids said, you don't know what we're going through. And he said, well, tell the class what you're going through. And they told this story. They were at a party over the weekend, their uncle's party. And during that party, you might have heard this story, his girlfriend came up behind him and slashed his throat. One of the brothers was the one that tried to apply the tourniquet to the wound. The uncle died. And they came to school, and their attitudes changed. But if that instructor hadn't got them to talk about it, because once they talked about it, they were cool. They were back to themselves. But if that instructor encouraged them to talk about it, and their peers, you know, validated them and comforted them. It's the, it's the small things, Don. It's listening to them. It's validating them. It's saying what people have told me all my life. Young man, you've got something special. Let me take you to opportunity. It's not hard. That's what blows me away. We're, go, go ahead. We're locking up so much of our talent, so much of our future, suspending them from school. And we really have a, a you know, we had this great gift that, that I think most of us are missing out on. Well, there's some efforts at criminal justice reform now that would impact uh, kids instead of putting them in the workhouse. Uh, they would bypass that and really give them some restorative uh, kind of uh, treatment, if you will. Yeah, that, but, that would be helpful. Yeah, but it's in the criminal justice wor uh, warehouse. And we now have police occupying most of our schools, mm -hmm. you know, which is another daily reminder that you're less than. Mm -hmm. I mean, we see five-year-olds, 11-year-olds being handcuffed and taken, taken to jail. Mm -hmm. Let's get some listeners into the conversation, sure. Lester. We have uh, Robert calling from St. Louis, and he's been waiting. Robert, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Morning, Mr. Brown. Good morning to you. I am an ex-St. Louis public school teacher. And during my tenure, I created a robotics team, a coding team, to give students a reason to come to school. I think that's what's missing. We're not giving kids a reason to come to school. Why do I have to take algebra? Why do I have to take geometry? Because these are tools for you to use. These are tools. So unless we change our attitude and give our students a reason to come to school, we're going to have the same failures over and over again. Thank you. Thank you. A great comment, and he's absolutely right. Uh, I dropped out of high school. It just didn't apply to me. I, I was worried about how I was going to get a car, get an apartment, and live. Um, I have, we have kids. We give them two hours to come up with a marketing campaign that includes uh, the product, how you're going to sell it, and a commercial. And they do it. And it amazed me with the ideas they, that they do. We had some kids come up with an idea I thought was kind of silly at first. It was an eye color changing candy. And they, you know, they presented it. I happened to have a chemist in class that day. And he was sat in the back of the room with his mouth agape. He said, I have a colleague who's right now working on an eye color changing pill. And here these kids are from the inner city who had the same kind, a multi-billion dollar concept in two hours. Incredible. It, it is incredible. Yeah. yeah. Let's take another call. Uh, Elad, I think, is uh, the way the name is pronounced. Uh, Elad, is that you? <laughs> this is me. Thanks so much, Don. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, and Sylvester, thank you so much uh, for everything. I've had a chance to see the Sweet Potato Project in, uh, uh, in all of its glory for some time, and it's <laughs> wonderful. So thank you so much for continuing all the work you're doing, Sylvester. Thank you. Um, 
And yeah, it's, it's wonderful. And I've, I've had a chance to work with kids and that's how, you know, Sylvester and I have gotten a chance to overlap too. Um, and really, you know, I just love this conversation because it's so much about showing kids that we value them so that they learn to value themselves. Um, and just this talk about, you know, issues that are happening all around Missouri and all around our country in both rural and urban areas where there's so many of these similarities everywhere we go. I'm wondering, Sylvester, from your perspective, since you've had such an opportunity to do this both at like the smaller nonprofit local level, but also, you know, it just your whole, I mean, your whole career and looking at, pitch, at, at the bigger picture, too, what particular systemic issues, like, you know, as part of this whole system in education, criminal justice reform, everything else, obviously we need a concerted effort where all of this stuff we're working together. But what particular issue do you think we really, really need to pay huge attention to and maybe focus on uh, as an initial entry point to fixing this problem? Interesting. And I do know this young man. He, 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 he too, works with young people, inner city kids. And he's, he's an amazing guy. Um, I guess it all comes back to economics. You know, it comes back to controlling the money within our own communities. It goes back to being able to give our kids jobs, to be able to impact what they learn and how they learn. So it goes back to really community, real community development, where we have businesses that we can hire kids, that we are able to put kids into business. And I would love to see the whole Martin Luther, strip, Martin Luther King strip filled with young storefronts run by young entrepreneurs. So to me, uh, and there are so many ways to address this, and so many people like this young man of different races, of different backgrounds, of different religions have, have done the fundamental thing. And the fundamental thing is talking to the kids and just letting them, validating their worth. Telling a young man or a young woman, you got something. You'd be so surprised, but just telling them that you got something special, what that means to them. Uh, but secondly, and again, it goes back to the onus of, of uh, responsibility is on the African American community. We can no longer sit back and allow all these broken systems to continue to create gener- generations of broken kids. We have a tweet from one of our listeners who writes, I would like to hear Mr. Brown comment on programs like Cure Violence. There's a movement to bring that program to St. Louis. Are you aware of Cure Violence? I'm not. No. I'm not. Um, well, well, we'll both Google it when we're yeah, off we'll the air and find, <laughs> and find out a little bit more yeah. about it. Okay, back to the phones, and Judy in St. Louis is up next. Go ahead, Judy. Hi. This is a tremendous um, conversation. Thank you, Sylvester and Don. Um, I worked a little bit volunteering with Beyond Housing, and in those neighborhoods, when you see these beautiful homes going up, and these people are so excited, and they're going to take great care of it, and then right next door is a completely dilapidated, you know, run-down home, and that's got to be depressing. I mean, it was depressing for me standing there, and I wasn't going to be living in that neighborhood. I'm wondering if we could put together, we, I say we, I'm not sure who we is, but Somebody could come up with a project similar to a New Deal kind of project mm-hmm. where we hire kids for the summer to get mm-hmm. rid of these dilapidated houses or even young people who need jobs. Um, I know that the houses are being, you know, repossessed, and so they sit there. And, and it's, you know, people who are homeless use them, and there can be violence involved. And so I'll stop. But I'm just wondering if that might be a project that, 
that could help people start to love their neighborhood a little bit more. Yeah, one of the biggest problems in America, and thank you for your question, uh, one of the biggest problems in America is it refuses to invest in black communities. It, re- it simply refuses to, bless, to invest in black business, in black public schools, in black neighborhoods. In 1965, Dr. Martin Luther King did a interview with Playboy magazine. Where he laid out a, a $50 billion preferential federal program that would specifically benefit what he called the Negro and the disadvantage of, and disadvantage of all races. And, the, and the, the, the onus of the program was, let's give people money to rebuild their own communities. Let's help them to rebuild their neighborhoods, to build housing and to build schools. That way they will be vested in their own communities. This was before the late six, 1960s uh, civil rights legislation came through. But Martin Luther King was way ahead of the game. And Martin Luther King said, I guarantee you that if you spend this kind of money in those communities, people will stay in those communities. Instead, what we did through integration was give people an incentive to leave those communities, to go outside their own neighborhoods to find opportunities. It seems to me there's a role here for the corporate world. I mean, they're going to need employees in the future. They're going to need ideas. And... uh, creativity in the future that they might invest in this. Yeah, I, I think that programs like mine, programs where uh, we teach kids to be self-reliant, teach kids to generate their own money, mm-hmm. teach kids to own their own land, is something that not only the corporate world should invest in, but the entertainment world. All these rappers, and I break this down in the book, we have rappers like Drake, like Jay-Z, um, even Biggie Smalls back in the day, they're all were talking about ownership and having your own. Jay-Z's 444 album really stressed this whole issue of buying your neighborhood. So imagine if there was a national movement where we stress self, do for self economics. Buying, you know, Queen Latifah has a $14 million uh, affordable housing project she's just kicking off. That's what I'm talking about, listening to these young people, because they're on the ball. So imagine if that would became a national motto, mm-hmm. you know, something that not only corporations could buy into, rappers could buy into, other uh, 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 philanthropic individuals can buy into, but African Americans set the agenda, and they make sure that African Americans are invested in wanting to build and stay and prosper in their own neighborhoods. I think our crack production staff has been on the ball here, and we have a, a definition, <laughs> uh, an explanation about what cure violence is. Okay. Cure violence is a program that understands violence as a health issue, believes individuals and communities can change for the better, and aims to reduce violence globally using disease control and behavior change methods. That's very important. Uh, Bruce Frank's uh, State Representative Bruce Franks passed a bill that dealt with uh, trauma education. And so hats off to him because now in public schools they'll be able to institute this and have some government funding to do that. So, yeah, we need to look at this whole PS- PTSD mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, issue and realize it's real. You know, we have kids who are walking the streets who are dealing with this trauma, who are going to school dealing with this trauma. We have the hunger issue. I used to get angry at the kids, you know, because when we go visit businesses and go out, they like, Mr. Brown, they're going to have breakfast, they're going to feed. I'm like, nobody's going to feed you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I pay you, buy your own food. But I realized these kids were actually hungry, man, yeah. that during the school year, the most nutritious meal they get is at school, breakfast and lunch. So they were actually hungry. 
So I had to listen and, and start making adjustments. So I, we buy snacks and yada, yada, yada. We did a program on, on that. Uh, it's called Food Insecurity. I call it hunger. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, last, just last week, it's certainly a, a, a significant problem. Uh, one quick question before we have to wrap it up. What about the role of media in all of this? We're both media critters. Yeah, yeah. I, I think media, like the media should reflect the country and we should we should try to show a different attitude and we should show the results of kids that we invest in. I mean, some of the stories I mentioned to you, we should, these should be national stories, you know? Um, they're good news stories, though. They don't news. always make the front page. Right, exactly, exactly. But, you know, again, it goes back to who should lead this, and I think it should be African Americans. America, imagine a media campaign in the black community where you got Nelly's face on a billboard or, you know, Jay-Z's face on a billboard saying, buy the block, you know, invest in your community, make your own products. Imagine an African American uh, food manufacturing plant with its own brand. Media could reinforce that. Then our kids would see it, man. They'd see it and they'd understand, I could do that too. Well, I want to thank you so much, uh, Sylvester Brown, for being in this and for the work you're doing. Obviously, it's important work, and uh, you're realizing some significant payoffs, too, and that's really, really good and encouraging here. Sylvester Brown, author of When We Listen, Recognizing the Potential of Urban Youth. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.